to uh, everything that has transpired in his in his life, and or especially in the immediate going through the ark, he offers these burnt offerings. He gets this idea from his fathers and 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 those before him. But look at what it says in verse twenty one. How would the Lord? Uh, how does we see, as it were, the veil pulled back, and what this does in heaven? This thing on earth, what it does in heaven? It says. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself. So the Lord would be moved by this event. God, the Almighty God, would be in, uh, uh, moved by what he smelled to do something. Noah had no part in it, right? Noah didn't do anything. It wasn't because Noah was a really good guy and he made the boat the nicest and it was close enough to you know, a carnival cruise ship, you know, whatever. It wasn't anything like that. There was something offered, and God was moved to do something. And particularly here, he said he will never curse the ground upon man's account, and he will never destroy the earth by flood. So God was moved by the offering. God was moved. He smelled the soothing aroma. It's the idea, not that literally God has a nose, but it's this typology that makes us understand that God was moved by this event. He smelled the author, uh, the, the aroma. It was soothing. He was pleased by it. This will come into play later. But um, there's also in connection with these altars, there's also there's an altar of sacrifice. That's one thing. But there's also altars as the golden altar was and, and other articles in the tabernacle for communion. That of which man and God communicate. And man would call upon the name of the Lord. Um, when Enosh is born, which um, is Seth's son, it says particularly that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Which means that there was an agreement with man's will to God's. They were walking together. We get no better picture than this than Enoch, right? Enoch, it says that he... Um, was a descendant of of this line of Seth and Enosh, that he walked with God. It doesn't say that he uh, called upon the name of the Lord particularly, but he walked with God for uh, for 300 years, and God took him out before the flood. But calling upon the name of the Lord and building an altar, we're going to see these two things mixed uh, together when we look at these patriarchs. But the the significance of Noah and where the altar was built, and the timing, it all is important, very important, right? There's an event, something happens, there's a response, and, and, and there's an action upon... Uh, God sometimes is acted, uh, will act in heaven on, upon um, the offerer's uh, building or the offerer's um, calling upon the name of the Lord or what they offer upon it. So let's just look at... We're just going to look at a couple of them. We're going to... Uh, skip the um, the altar of uh, Isaac and uh, Abraham offering Isaac because that is an offering uh, that is an altar of sacrifice. But we're going to look at the other one. So what we're going to look at first, though, here's another map. I like these to get us an idea of what's going on. But the journey of Abraham is uh, one that starts in here in present day. Uh, you would say Iraq, but in that in those days it was called Ur or later Babylon, but he starts down here in this region, uh, the Fertile Crescent area. You see this is all populated. This is a, a big haven of, 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 of city of population, but he starts here. Abraham is an idol worshiper. God speaks to him there. 
He tells them to get out of the country. And it doesn't expressly say this, but Terah, his father, actually ends up going with him. He was told to leave his relatives, leave everybody, but he, he brings some of, the, uh, of his relatives with him, Lot being one of them. But they end up up in here in Haran. We heard about that this morning. Um, this is where uh, Jacob um, and the, the dream happens up in this area. But he ends up here. His father, Terah, dies, and then he enters into the land. And so as he's journeying down, right, this is not an easy journey. And keep in mind, Abraham has no idea where he's going. He was, he was just following God, listening to what he said. There was no GPS. There was no uh, map quest or any kind of directions given to him. Well, here, here's the way you're going to go. I don't, you know, I don't know about you. I don't particularly like that, especially getting lost. Right? I mean, we don't like that feeling of, I don't know where I'm going. But could you imagine in those days? Right? No city lights, first of all. No vehicles. Just following where the Lord has asked you. Um, and truly, there is... Um, we today, too, follow the Lord. Well, though we don't see Him, um, we follow what He says in His Word, and by faith we claim His promises. So Abraham follows, right? And he enters the land. The first place he's going to stop, I tried to make it in red. It's not too distinctive showing up on this board. But he stops in this place called Shechem. And, and this is in Genesis chapter 12. I should have told you this before. But he comes into the land... And he has with him his wife, Lot, his nephew, and presumably his wife and his children. But there is uh, uh, many people coming, lots of possessions. And he enters into the land of Canaan. This is the land that he told them, God told them. And he passed as far as Shechem to the Oak of Morah. So the first altar we're going to look at is this one. And it says here in... Six. It says, "Now the Canaanite was in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said to it, and, and to your descendants I will give this land." And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, the first response we see, the first builder is Abram. Genesis chapter twelve. We're going to look at a couple of just simple things that just uh, that we can apply, uh, pull out of this. It's going to be a topical type thing, and hopefully the Lord will bless. But. Two things we're going to look at the location. We're going to look at the location in each one. But they're very significant in where they're at. Shechem, um, from what I see in Hebrew, means shoulder, right? Shoulder. By the oak of Morah, which is teacher. And so here's Abraham coming into this land. He arrives safely. And then God says, this is the land I'm going to give you. And so the object is that he built an altar there. What does it tell us? Well, the person who is in line with God's will following him by faith and that altar is built there for Abraham but the person who is leaning on the shoulder of the teacher is the one who's going to be sustained sustained Shechem means shoulder Mora means teacher and Abraham is is an example to us that those of a life of faith that those who rely on God God will perform what he has promised God will perform what he has He's asked. So Shechem being the sh- uh, picturing uh, or representing the shoulder, its meaning, but uh, the Oak of Morah. Um, Abraham was not alone in this, right? God was along the way, giving him, uh, sustaining him, uh, uh, giving him direction. So relying on the shoulder of our great teacher, right? Being God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God's Son. Um, a couple of things to note about this one. It says this, and it's just a couple of words. Chapter six, uh, verse 6, Now the Canaanite was in the land. The Canaanite to us pictures that of an unbelieving world. We, like Abraham, are pilgrims in an unbelieving world, right? And the Canaanite is in the land still here. And they are watching every move, whether you know it or not, in the workplace, in the department store, in your schools. And they're watching how you behave. They're watching how you perform. They're watching what you say. They're watching how you handle adversity. Abraham, in this particular uh, situation, builds an altar to the Lord, leaning on the teacher's shoulder. Right? He was a testimony to those Canaanites that he had divine help that was in heaven and God would be sustaining him. His, his separated life was not just because he was crazy. Right? He was separated unto God. He was not just doing something that... Um, uh, it appeared to them as foolishness. You know, a guy running around and, and camping out in the wilderness, not settling down in cities. No, he was looking uh, to the unseen God for a city that he built, uh, that God would be building. But the Canaanite now was in the land. So there's a significance to this, that the Canaanite or the Gentile, the unbelieving world, is watching you. And they're, the altars that we build before them, sometimes not like this, right? They're not good testimonies. We sometimes build altars that would be uh, give a bad testimony or be not what we would want to tell them. But keep in mind, the Canaanite is always in the land. While we're still here in this body of flesh, they are watching us. And so Abraham was a good test. Uh, Abram, I might use those two terms interchangeably, but right now his name is Abram. Abraham, Abram was a good testimony uh, to the unseen God uh, while he was in this land on this journey um, of uh, this journey of faith where God was calling him out. So the Canaanite was in the land. The next one we want to look at, and we'll try to go through all of them, um, is not too far down, but it's the very next verse. It says, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar upon, uh, to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And so here's the first thing, the first time that we see these two connected. The altar being the testimony and the um, and calling upon the name of the Lord. So the second one we look at, and it's just a little bit south of Shechem, Abram's the builder. Bethel, which we learned today, right? That's where um, God, the Jacob's ladder, and we get, we get that. Because uh, the writer obviously wrote later uh, about this, but he uses that word. It actually is Luz at this time. The city's called Luz, but Bethel, uh, it was changed to Bethel, means the house of God on the west and Ai on the east, which is a heap. And these two things, uh, um, these two cities and where he placed his, te- uh, his tent and his altar and called upon the name of the Lord is very significant. Abraham at this point is is proclaiming to those, to the world, that I am living a separated life to God. Behind me is the heap, right? There's a couple things we're going to learn from this, but the heap means like a heap of ruins, right? The world's behind me. A heap of ruins is behind me. Where I'm heading is the house of God, Bethel on the west. The west, um, always in the Bible, when you talk about 
when the Bible talks about heading west, right? That's the direction, as it were, towards God. East is where Babylon is. East is going towards the world. So behind Abraham to the east was the heap of ruins. But going west is the house of God. Abraham is declaring that he is uh, living this pilgrim lifestyle. Uh, he is separated unto God. The calling upon the name of the Lord means that he's in close communion with the Lord. He is walking with the Lord. He's calling upon the name of the Lord. He's in agreement with what the Lord is saying. He's bending his will to the Lord. Um, We're going to see that he always didn't do this, but this significant spot would come back later in Abraham's life. Um, So Bethel is on the west. He's going towards the house of God. The heap, or i.e., is on the east. Also, this pictures us. Uh, um, it also is a world view. Um, it also pictures God's view of the world. Those who are separated to Him, that He's called out, His people are going somewhere. Those left in IE, that's a heap of ruins, right? This world, those who are God rejectors, sinners, who do not want anything with God, this world is going to be consumed. There is no future, right? That's the consignment that God has given that this world is going to be burned up. All those who reject God, right? And so the heap of ruins, but those who are called out, God has a future for them. The house of God, they're going to be dwelling with him. And so it's a worldview as well that we see Abraham um, uh, not dwelling in that heap of ruins and not uh, a part of, even though he's in the world, but not in that world system. He is a pilgrim. He is on his way to a new house. Um, one that God built, Bethel on the west, i.e. on the east, so the heap of ruins. Abraham, though, um, since we're on this one, he uh, there's a test. We mentioned this uh, last time I spoke, but immediately after he's in the land and he's walking with the Lord, you would think, man, things are great, right? Things are going my way. There's a test. It says, now there was a famine in the land. And oftentimes we... we we experience this in our Christian life. You know, there's, there's spiritual highs. And, and uh, speaking about camp, you know, we'd, we'd go to camp and you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the gospel and you're just so separated from a lot of things and there's not to distract and you're on this spiritual high. And when you come back and it's still kind of there, but then there's some kind of test or something that comes in the way and, and then immediately all that seems to be forgotten, what has just happened before. And Abraham experiences some hardship. There's a famine in the land, so Abraham goes down to Egypt. He leaves the place where he was in communion with God. He was calling upon the name of the Lord. He built an altar. He leaves that place to go to Egypt. And in Egypt, we won't take the time to read it, but you won't see Abraham building any altars. You won't see Abraham calling upon the name of the Lord. Actually, you see Abraham bringing out more trouble than he actually sought to get away from. Right? He sought to remedy his situation by going down there, but he actually brings more trouble upon himself by going into Egypt. And when those hardships come, it's important and it's imperative that we stick close to God. right? And don't try to take matters in our own hands, but yet stick close to God and, and live that separated lifestyle. Don't, get, uh, don't be too engrossed and too involved in the world and try to remedy the situation by, by some means that are, are not divine, but yet stick close to the Lord. A famine was in the land. Abraham leaves that place. But God steps in and he 
uh, um, there was an incident with Pharaoh and his wife because of Abraham's deception. But Abraham, uh, God steps in, uh, steps in and Abraham leaves Egypt. And it says here in, in 13, you know, that's not the end of the story. You say, oh, poor Abraham, what a bad choice. It says this, that Abraham came up out of Egypt to the Negev. This is the, this is the Negev down here, Southland. So here's Egypt. He ends up going to Egypt. But it says that he, on his journey from the Negev, uh, he went from his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where the tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So there is restoration. You know, this is a very um, important to us as believers, right? Because there's going to be failures in our lives. And there is a temptation to say, well, I give up, right? I'll never be used again. Or even to say that about somebody, well, God is done with them. God is not done. Abraham goes back to the place where he was in fellowship with the Lord. Bethel on the west, heading towards where God was heading, uh, telling him, calling upon the name of the Lord, i.e. on the east. And he, it, it particularly says that, that he went back to the place where he began, to the place where the altar which he made formerly, and there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. And so while there was a failure, while there was a, a sidestepping of the journey, God would be using that to shape Abram's life. Um, as we learn, Jacob was also shaped by different uh, hardships in his life. But Abraham was shaped by this. And Abraham comes back into fellowship with the Lord. Um, and it's, and it's uh, observed here by Abraham calling upon the name of the Lord. His will, bending his will to what God's will is. And so the next one we like, actually I could look at is one more by Abram. And this is in Hebron. Um, down in this chapter... Same chapter, but Hebron is down here. So Abraham leaves uh, Bethel, uh, leaves Egypt. There's a failure. He leaves the land. He leaves the place of blessing. He leaves um, the path that the Lord has asked him to come. Well, he comes back. There's restoration. He ends, he ends up back in the place where he began, Bethel. And he comes out of Bethel, and he's going to Hebron. And this is the next uh, um, altar. Well, God reveals some more of his promises. You know, there's, there's, there's promises and there's commands given to Abraham. But as Abraham continues to, uh, uh, to, to show obedience and to practice faith, God reveals more light to him. And more particular, he tells him that his descendants are going to be as the dust of the earth. And, and, um, Abraham also separates some lot. There's more light revealed as God, uh, Abraham is separating himself further away from uh, that of the world. You know, his, his brother or his cousin, I think it's his nephew, I'm sorry, his nephew. Uh, but he's following exactly what the Lord has asked him to do. There's no half obedience anymore. He's fully following what the Lord uh, called him to do. God gives him more light. And this is what he asked him to do. God tells him to rise, walk about the land, its length, breadth, and width. I, for I will give it to you. And Abraham moved his tents and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And so Abraham, um, there was a trial, there was a test between, um, there was a, well, there's some difficulty between Abraham and Lot in this chapter. And their, their herdsmen were fighting, there was strife. Abraham recognizing that he did not want to offend his brother, he 
um, offend a brother, so he decided to separate from them. But he gave the choice to Lot first. And Lot lifted up his eyes being the fleshly man that he was and chose what he thought was the best choice, which ended up being the wrong one and he would utterly pay for. He'd settled in the land of the, of the valley um, down in here. And there was uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all those wicked cities. But God was the one that was directing Abraham. And so while it might have looked like a bad decision to the world and to those who were intellectual, Abraham knew that the one taking care of him or the one looking out for him had an infinite intellect and knew the future. And that would be the Lord. And it says the Lord asked Abraham to lift up his eyes. And so God gives him a taste of this land, even though he would not um, actually possess it in his life in his lifetime, but he told them to walk it about, lengthen its breath. And so Abraham goes about the entire land as a pilgrim, walking about. But he settles down here in Hebron, and Hebron, and he moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And so, Hebron, there's a couple of meanings for this, but one is company, and by the oaks of Mamre. And strong, and so the idea is is that those who are in the company of the Lord, you know, there's there's strength, right? And so when there's a removing from that, if I'm going to go out like Lot, and I'm going to head in my own power, my own strength, and I'm going to say, you know what, I got a lot of livestock, I I got business to take care of, and and I got to look out for my children, and I got to look at what's best for my future. I'm going to go to where it makes sense. What ends up being a ruin for him. But Abraham instead chose the Lord and there's strength in his company and there's sus- uh, sustaining power in the company of the Lord. Hebron pictures the, uh, the company or friendship with God, memory being strength or vigor if you'd like. But there's strength and vigor with the Lord in his company. And that's a picture to us. The altar too uh, would be representative of that. And so taking a, a, uh, moving on from Abraham, or Abraham we're going to look at two... Two more, and one is uh, both his son and his grandson. There's only one mention for his son, but that is of Isaac. Isaac doesn't get many chapters, even though he outlives both his father and all those who would pass uh, after him. Um, Ron, I think, mentioned this, but I would see that as his, even though it's not mentioned too much, his faith maybe wasn't as, he wasn't passionate as, as his father was about following the Lord. There's not mentioned about Isaac, but there are things that he is mentioned in the hall of faith, uh, being that that he blessed Esau or Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. But Isaac also builds a tent, uh, excuse me, an, an altar. And it's all the way down here in, in Beersheba. He spends most of his life down there. But in Beersheba... He also is walking about the land, uh, living the separated lifestyle, and there's trouble. He can't find anywhere to uh, uh, sustain himself. You know, being in the desert, one of the most important things, probably the most important things besides oxygen, which is abundant, but is water. That's the next thing you need. And as they're moving through this land, they need to find it. Well, in those days, there's no... uh, you know, water fountains, but there's wells. And what they would do is they dig wells and they would move around to these different spots. They were oasises of life and where their livestock and, themsel- and themselves and the peoples with them could drink. And there was life there. 
And so Isaac is moving around and he's digging these wells that his father dug up, but there's strife with the Philistines, the inhabitants of the land, uh, Abimelech, the king of Gerar. And eventually, um, Isaac does find a place. God does provide for him. It's in Beersheba. Um, but he says, and God appears to him and says this, I am the fa- uh, and the Lord appeared to him that very night when he found this well. And finally he realized that the Lord has finally at last made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. And so there's patience, right? Pa- patiently waiting for the Lord to act on his behalf, not taking mat- matters in his own hands, but keep moving. Doors close over here, I'm going to keep moving, keep moving. Finally, the Lord opens the door and he says this to, to Isaac. He says, um, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and, your mul- and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham, for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. And so there at that uh, at Beersheba, which means well of oath, which is where the inhabitants of the land realized that God was blessing Isaac and they wanted to make a covenant with him at Beersheba. But Isaac builds a, 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 an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord, the one who's been sustaining him, the, ones who, the, one, uh, the one God who has been... Uh, guiding him, he reminds him of this covenant that was given to Abraham that God would enact. And sometimes we need that, right? As we go through the hard times of life, as Jake, uh, as Isaac is is finding difficulty, not being able to sit down and root and to and to get water and be fruitful, as it says here. Finally, God does uh, 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 he provides for them in a, in a miraculous way too. But he reminds uh, Isaac of his of himself, first of all, he introduces himself, I am the God of your father, uh, Abraham, God Almighty. Um, but he reminds him of the promises. And so there Isaac calls upon the name of the Lord, picturing communion with God, and he builds an altar. And so that's the one altar that we read about Isaac. But then one more, um, and this is, in, uh, this is with Jacob, but this is all the way in 35, if you want to turn ahead. But it's back in the city that we've already... Uh, covered this morning and this is a little forecasting Lord willing if we get to this but Jacob um, we learned this morning he leaves the land because he's running for his life he he makes a vow that if the Lord will be with him um, and keep him on this journey that he will be his God and I didn't mention it this morning but you know God already promised that to, uh, to Jacob he told him he was going to be with him. He told him that he was going to bring him back, but yet Jacob, still there's this you know hesitant um, belief, as it were, and eventually Jacob would be the one who would be fully leaning on the Lord, worshiping and blessing, but there's still this process that Jacob is being molded. He's in God's school. And Jacob eventually is told by God to go back to that place where he met, where God met him in Bethel. And this is in 35. And really, this is the only prescribed altar that was asked to be built. Uh, God told him to build an altar. It says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and live there. Make an altar to your God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so Jacob and all his household and all who were with him put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise, go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of distress 
um, and has been me has been with me wherever I've gone. And so they put away all these foreign gods and they came to this place of Bethel. And he ends up calling it um, El Bethel or the God of Bethel. Um, it's also called. Um, but Jacob, there's something Jacob learns from this altar. He learns that half obedience and half-hearted following the Lord isn't going to cut it. What does he ask him to do? What does he say? He purify yourself, right? Put away those foreign gods. And how often, as we're walking this Christian life, the foreign gods or the things that we get defiled with on our feet as we're walking around this pilgrim lifestyle get in the way of fellowship, right? We have to, we have to admit that. And if we're not, then we're calling God a liar. Because if we say we have no sin, we call him a liar. That's what 1 John says. And so there is sin. There is things that attract us. And there's mistakes given uh, that we do. But um, the idea is when we're in fellowship with God, in, a, in, in, in communion with him, calling upon his name, the foreign gods need to be put away. There's no serving of both. Um, there's no um, uh, half-hearted or following two different paths. There's only one way, right? Following uh, the Lord, the life of faith, the pilgrim lifestyle. And so Jacob then uh, heads back to that place where he met God originally, where God introduced himself to him. And he, he puts away all those foreign gods, and he um, confesses that what God had told him he was going to do, God did perform it, right? And so he builds an altar. It was a memorial to God. And the, the, uh, it's a picture to us that there's no half-obedience or there's no half-heartedness when it comes to following the Lord. And not, to, and not just to follow the Lord, well, it's convenient for me at this time. Or I need to call upon the name of the Lord at this time because, you know, I'm sick or I'm out of a job. But when I find a job, you know, I, I, that goes out the window. You know, God gets second place. No. The life of faith, right, is fully committed to the Lord and to following uh, where he's leading and where he wants to do with my life, right? And not directing it myself. Jacob is a picture of this because he's in that land, out of the land of promise, but God tells him to come back. So he almost brings him by force and brings him back to uh, Bethel. Well, that's nice. You know, you say, well, you know, all this altar talk and calling upon the name of the Lord. But you know, in the New Testament, it does mention that we have an altar, right? And calling upon the name of the Lord is not something foreign to us either. It says in, 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 uh, in Romans 10, He who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the unbeliever calls upon the name of the Lord, agreeing with God uh, about what He says about them, right? that they're a sinner, they're in need of a Savior, and they're saved through this manner. But we as believers also have an altar. It says this in Hebrews, and we'll end with this. Hebrews 13, it says, For we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was bought, uh, brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might uh, sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp. Hence, let us go out to him. Uh, bearing outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking a city which is to come. And so very same language that we were just looking at. right? These pilgrims, these patriarchs, were looking for a city which is to come. They built altars. 
we as believers, as a church, we have an altar. But it's not something, as we looked at before, in, in a sacred tabernacle or a tent. Uh, it's somewhere uh, that only those who are in communion with God can eat at. Um, the Old Testament sacrifices, it says here that the, they could eat of some of the sacrifices, right? There was a communion with God. They sacrificed to the Lord. There was a soothing aroma, but they were told to eat the sacrifice as well. And there was partaking that God and man would be in communion. But there were some sacrifices they could not eat of, right? That was a sin offering, and that's expressly said here. They were told to burn that outside the camp. They were not told to go out to it. But us, on the other hand, we have a greater sacrifice. We have a greater altar than that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, let us go out to him bearing, uh, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So outside the established religion, outside the established system, is where we're going to find God's way where the line has been drawn, where God's way and God's ascent is not going to be a tower of Babel. It's not going to be where we think is best or, or the way or the approach of God. There's many ways to go towards God. No, there's not. It's only through one man, uh, that being God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his blood, suffered outside the gate. And so there was full sanctification. There's full redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, ha- we do have an altar. And though we do not see it, we have full communion and full fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, unlike those Old Testament, um, uh, uh, Old Testament uh, people, when they were uh, bringing their offerings, they could eat some of it. The priests could enjoy communion with God. Only on certain times, we have full communion. And at any time, we can enter in into the throne room of grace and, and pray to Him, pray to God, and ask of him and enjoy his fellowship through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, hopefully that was a blessing to you as we just looked at this, at these altars and calling upon the name of the Lord, uh, that uh, calling upon the name of the Lord being that of one who is in fellowship with God, but also an altar that wears in a testimony that God, uh, who God is and what I'm doing in this world. And so we are pilgrims in this world, but we do have an altar where we have full fellowship with the Lord. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this night. We just pray, Lord, as we go from here, Lord, that we would be mindful of our testimony among the world, the Canaanite, and that we would be, one, building altars uh, that would be glorifying to you as we're going about. We just pray that we would, um, um, uh, as we leave this place, that we would um, just be warmed to be diligent in searching your word, Lord, and to find out what you want from us and practice your known will so that what is unknown will be revealed to us. And so, Lord, we just thank you for yourself. We thank you for uh, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so who uh, gives us guidance in our life. And all these things, we ask your blessing upon the rest of this night. And in your Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.